Today we're going to be concluding on resist the devil. We prayed this morning about our reception of the word. And one of the reasons why we we prayed about the reception of the word, which we should always pray about, by the way, is the fact that today we might be shaking some tables and I would want us to listen with our hearts and not necessarily with our brain. Amen. Listen with what's with your heart so that you can hear exactly what we are saying and so that it can be beneficial to you. We started this series by looking at No Plan B, which I spoke about the first week of August, the week after our mommy taught us be sober, be vigilant, right? We remember. Uh, okay. <laughs> then last week we looked at the siege where Pastor Femi was able to teach us about siege warfare and how the siege never ends. Amen. Today we're going to be looking at practical teachings. Practical teachings with regards to resisting the devil. Because after talking to us about who the devil is, what his role is, what his place is, and speaking about all of this at length for the last three weeks, we cannot close this without giving ourselves practical examples of what it actually means to resist him. Amen. And at first, I was going to title this message CIA, but I hate pseudonyms or, you know, because I don't like them. I feel like sometimes it tends to water down the message. Amen. But that doesn't mean we're not going to be looking at the CIA. Maybe not in that order. Amen. There are three major areas that I want us to look at today that you have to resist the devil. In fact, if you can confidently say that you resist the devil in these areas of your life, then you actually have no problem with Satan anymore. The first, which is the C, is conversation and confession. So there are two C's, technically. The second, let's take the I, is isolation. And the third is association. Any human being or any Christian that can confidently say that they resist the devil in their conversations and in their confessions, that C, in the association, and in the things that happen when they're alone. That's isolation. Doesn't have a problem with Satan anymore. That's just the truth. Because if Satan is going to get you, he will get you either in your conversations slash confessions, in your association, or when you're alone, when nobody is there to watch you things that you do and the things that happen to you. Amen. So we're going to start with C, conversation slash confession. We're taking two of them together because they have to do with our mouth. Amen. Conversation has to do with what you say with or say to others, right? Confession, however, is what you say about yourself or to yourself or to God. When you're confessing or you're uttering words from your mouth, 
in that manner, you're not necessarily talking to someone. But that doesn't mean that some people are not listening to you. Right? One of the things that we talked about last week, or we mentioned briefly last week, that would expand on a lot more today, is the fact that you cannot separate spirits or the spiritual from this life. Everything in this world is first spiritual before it is physical. So what that means is that, particularly when it comes to your confession, what you say is very important. What comes out of your mouth is very important. And a lot of times, the devil gets us by the things that we say. So for example, you've left something in the hand of God, right? You've prayed about something. And you've told God, Lord, this thing, I leave it in your hand. I know and I trust you that you've taken care of of it. And you get to the office or you're speaking to somebody. The person might not even be a friend, maybe just an acquaintance. And the person is telling you how hard Nigeria is. Hmm? (laughs) And in the process of conversation, you now personalize this hardship. Just to, you know, connect. You know, the thing about conversations is we like to connect with people. True or false? You, you like to be able to say you can relate. <laughs> and so, you've committed your finances, for example, to the hand of God. And you're believing and trusting God for something new or something different. But then, you're gisting with colleagues or gisting with friends and gisting with associates and the next thing is they, they are talking about how tough it is and you feel that need to also express your own, you know, toughness so you can all be in the quagmire of, man, this economy, this Bahari economy is what is hard. And in the process, you're saying things to negate everything that you claim to have prayed about. True or false? This is where conversation and confession comes in. And let's open our Bibles to the book of Proverbs, chapter 18, verse 21. It's a very popular verse of Scripture. In fact, some people even quote it as wise sayings. And they don't even know that it's gotten from the Bible. Proverbs 18, 21 says, Death and life are in the power of of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruits thereof. Come and open our Bibles to the book of James, chapter 1. There's a strong parallel between this aspect of today's teaching and what we learned in Bible study on Wednesday for those that were around. But James, chapter 1, verse 26, says, if any man among you seems to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is what? Is in vain or is useless. I even like useless better. <laughs> I don't know what tradition, I mean translation that is, but I prefer it. Oh, nice, because I'm using KJV. His religion is what? It's useless. So essentially what we are saying is that 
in order to resist the devil and in order to live a victorious Christian life, what we say is very important. What we what? What we say. But it's not just about what we say. It's also about when we what? When we speak. Because these are the two aspects that are actually involved. The first is when to speak. And the next is what to say. What to talk about. But first is what, when to speak. These two are very vital, very important. Because essentially, we say the devil came to kill, to steal, and to destroy. Sometimes we focus on the destroy and the kill. We forget about the steal just a little bit. That thing that you've spoken to God about that is truly for you. But the devil robs you of it by what you say by the conversations that you have, or even the things that you confess on your own without anybody being there. You just say, oh, this thing is tough, or I don't know how I'm going to do it. And you just finish morning devotion. <laughs> or you just finish praying in the morning, and you had a good time in the presence of God, and you get to the office, and your boss is being very, very funny that day. Then it's about whose reports you believe, Right? Because essentially, you just left God's presence and God has essentially assured you that everything is okay. Then you go to get to work and you see with your eyes that everything does not seem as okay as you thought it was. At that point, what comes out of your mouth is very important. Are you going to choose to hold on to the peace that you've received from God's presence just that morning and say, okay, no matter how stressful this day is looking, Lord, I believe that everything is going to be what? It's going to be good. My week is blessed because you have blessed me. Because you have given me your favor and your what? And your peace. Is that what you're going to say? Or are you going to sit down with our colleague that they are stressing two of you together? And just because you want to feel like, man, we're going through the what? We're going through it today. We're going to the trenches today. You now say what? What you're not supposed to say. That person is not you. The person does not have the spiritual experience that you have. Even if the person is a Christian, it doesn't really matter. These are practical what? Teachings. In that same James, can we read verse 19? James 1. It says, Wherefore, my beloved, let every man be what? Be swift to hear, slow to speak. Slow to wrath. One of the things that we're just going to have to learn is to learn generally to talk less. If you don't have anything graceful to say, and we'll get there, don't say what? Anything. Because you see, the same way the angels of God are around, it's the same way the demons of the devil are also what? Around looking to latch on to the words that you what that you speak one of the things that the spirit of god will discipline you about the closer you get to him naturally is what happens with your tongue if it doesn't start happening to you yet then you need to brace up in your spiritual walk this tongue there is no christian that will tell you that god at some point has not taught him 
or he's not teaching him at the moment or her how to what? How to control it. There are times when God will tell you, keep quiet, don't say anything. Practical example. There are some times that when I was very young, younger, I was very argumentative. Very, very what? Argumentative. And that if you want to tell me anything, even before you finish talking, I'll say I know. My parents are here so they can bear witness. <laughs> and one of the things that God started working on me on, very practically, years ago, before now, when I started to change, is that sometimes when I'm coming from my room to go and see them, and I know that it's going to be a semi-heated conversation, the Spirit of God will already start telling me as I'm leaving the room, don't defend yourself. Don't say anything. Even if you have a point and you're right, just what? Keep quiet. It doesn't happen to you. Not in the same scenario, but do you understand? Does it happen to you? It has to happen to you as a Christian. If it doesn't happen to you, then it's a problem. Because one of the things that the Spirit of God will let you know is when to what? Speak and when to keep quiet. And there are so many moments in our lives when we should be quiet and yet we are talking. I'm not speaking about temperaments now. I'm not talking about I'm an introvert, I'm an extrovert. No. Everyone talks. <laughs> so when to speak is vital. But there's also what to say. One of my pet peeves or my greatest um, annoyances when it comes to the conversation of speech or the topic of speech with Christians is Christians limiting this conversation or topic to curse words. Amen. So when you start talking to Christians about speech, most of the time people try to surround that conversation and make it about whether Christians can curse or whether Christians can't what? Curse. And that is such an insult to the Bible. It's an insult to the Christian life. And I'll show you why. In the book of Colossians chapter 4 verse 6. The Bible says in Colossians 4, 6, if someone is there, they can read it. I can read it myself, but I want to hear it from someone. Amen. Let your speech be seasoned with what? With, with, seasoned with salt. Let your speech always be with grace. Seasoned with salt. When it comes to what comes out of our mouths, the standard of the Bible goes beyond whether or not you use some words or you don't use some words. There are Christians that don't curse and yet their speech is not seasoned with grace. You know what it means for your speech to be seasoned with grace? That every conversation you have, that when you leave that conversation, people are what? People receive God's grace. People are uplifted from what you say. You don't need to be a preacher. That there is encouragement in your words. In your words. And some people might not like it. Because you see, one of the characteristics of salt is that salt seasons food, yes? But if you put salt on a wound, what will happen? 
one of the reasons or one of the ways that salt seasons food or preserves food is that it kills all the worms. It kills all the what? All the bacteria. It kills all those things that are harmful. So sometimes the things that you will say will sting some certain individuals. That is part of grace. Not because you insulted them. But because your speech being seasoned with grace, or rather always with grace and seasoned with salt, means that you would have the right answer for everyone. That is what Jesus had. And for some set of people, the things that Jesus said, they didn't like it. Whilst for some other set of people, the things that Jesus said brought life to them. And they followed him. That is the standard of what you have to use this, your tongue, to do. So, anyone that, you say, I'm a Christian, and anywhere Belefis or anywhere the boat is going, no matter the opinion they have in this life, because you don't want to offend people, and because you don't want to seem controversial, you just, you agree. Oh, is this thing right? Is this thing wrong? It's right. Oh, I don't know. When we get to heaven, we'll find out. While you know in your heart clearly that it's as plain as day in the word of God, that this is what the word of God says about the thing. But because you don't want to conflict or be controversial, like, we don't know. When we all see Jesus, we will know what the right answer is. And you say, oh, yes, you are being the word of God and that's what... You're, 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 the devil is not getting you in your speech. He's getting you well. Why? Because that's not what it means to speak with grace. There's so much more about this, our tongue, and how we talk. And it annoys me. If you go online, and you Google Christian speech, or you Google, can Christians curse? So many YouTube videos. So many articles that have been written just because some people are just in the end looking for loopholes to say something. Google how many people actually write or talk about this, this verse that we're talking about. About what it means for our speech to always be with what? With grace. Not many people. It's few and far between. Because as Christians we've reduced the conversation. And that's not what we are called to do. Because it's one of the ways where the devil gets us. He gets us. Because he causes us to shift our stand and we break the hedge in the process. And the serpent will come and bite. Because we're talking about resisting who? The devil. And we have to resist him by our tongue. So let's leave that for a bit. And let's go first to association. We'll touch isolation last, then we'll look at the activities of spirits. Association. Can we open our Bibles to 2 Corinthians 6? From verse 14 to 16. It's one of the most popular verses in Scripture. Also one of the most controversial verses in scripture. And I don't know why it's controversial. It's quite simple. I read it myself. It says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. 
For what fellowship had righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion had light with darkness, and what concord had Christ with Belial, or what part has he that believeth with an infidel, and what agreement had the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be what? My people. Second Corinthians 6, 14 to 16. So there's a sect of Christianity that has limited the meaning of this scripture to marriage. Amen. It includes marriage. It's not limited to marriage. There's also a sect of Christians, a sect of people, that are taking this to the extreme and say that, essentially, if, if I employed somewhere, or in every social interaction that you have, that you have to ensure that everybody there is a Christian. So if you're in your office, for example, and there are non-Christians there, you don't talk to them. Because not talking to them, they, are, they exist. It may sound funny, but there are people like that. If you talk to them, you are being unequally what? Yoked. It's not what scripture means at all. Those are two different extremes that are both wrong. Although it includes marriage, but the reason why it includes marriage is what you would see soon. You see, the thing is that Paul was talking to people that were very, very familiar with agriculture. Right? He was talking to the Corinthians. They were one of the most prosperous cities of that time because of the nature of the city that it was. People came to sell goods and wares in Corinth at the time. And there were a lot of farmers. In the same way, even in Hebrew, there were a lot of what? Farmers. They understood agriculture. So when Jesus was saying, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, they could connect with what he was saying. And in the same way, when Paul was saying this to these people, they could connect. And what he was trying to say, we will see in Deuteronomy 22 verse 10. Let's look at Deuteronomy 22 10. Can someone read Deuteronomy 22.10? If you are there, please read. Exactly. It said, Thou shalt not plow with an ox and an ass together. Thou shalt not plow with an ox and an, and an ass together. An ass is a donkey. Why? You see, the thing is, they use these animals to what? To plow the field. So essentially what happens is, they put these implements on the back of the animals. And that implement is connected to the ground. So essentially, and those sharp edges on the ground plow the field before they start planting. And it says, you, you shall not use an ox and an ass to plow the field. Why? Because there's an imbalance there. The donkey is much smaller than what? Than the ox. They can't do it together. And that thing on the back of those two animals is a what? It's a yoke. So those two animals can never be equally 
yoked because they are not the same. It will affect the work. What Paul was talking about here was an imbalance in power and in purpose. Imbalance in what? In power and purpose. That is what it means to be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Is that it cannot work. And when it comes to our associations, what it means is that in every interaction that has a significant impact, no matter how little, on what we are to become in life, we cannot involve someone that is not a believer. It's not about work that they tell you to do in the office. And you are working together and earning different salary. But you see, it goes beyond just marriage. It enters some things that we call friendship. Because in the process of that friendship, you are influencing what? Each other. You are telling yourselves details about your lives. You are influencing yourselves on the principles by which you what? You live. And that is quite vital to your purpose in life. And there's an imbalance there. Because if you put an ox and a donkey together, if the ox is willing to plow that day and the donkey is not, the ox will end up pulling what? Pulling the donkey and the donkey will probably get injured or die. And even in that process, it slows the ox down. But if the donkey is willing to plow and the ox is not, there is nothing the donkey can do. Donkey is just there, stagnated. What this illustration is telling you is that no matter what, you lose. You what? You lose. I met so many Christian brothers, so many Christian sisters sometimes in my years in life. Short years, but years all the same. And you ask them, oh, what's going on? Oh, there's this girl. She says, I'm trying to save her. Are you Jesus? So I'm trying to save him. Hey, but he's not a Christian. Hey, but he will be. I've, I've started to get him to come to church. Are you Jesus? <laughs> You're not the Messiah. You can't do anything about it. That's not the responsibility that God gave you. There is no way you won't compromise something. There's no, I mean, repeat, no way you will not compromise something. Something will give. Because that's just the way associations work. That's the way they work. I'm not talking about just interactions that are temporary. I'm trying to clarify a lot now. Because there are some people that you cannot help associate with. You are working with them. You are doing everything. Or your neighbors. It's not a high, high thing I'm talking about. I'm talking about people that gain enough influence in your life to what? To actually contribute to your purpose. Because if that person doesn't carry what you carry, there's an imbalance in power. You have the Spirit of God inside you. The other person does not. So one of two things will happen. Is that that person will slow you down or you will lose something in the process. The deeper you get into that relationship, 
So don't let it happen. Even if it's your family member, yes, don't let it happen. Even if it's your mother or your father, I'm still saying it, don't let it happen. This is the reason why Christians don't understand a lot about separation. And when you talk about separation, some Christians get, they get offended by it. But trust me when I say that, when you truly become a believer, one of the first people that God will separate you from in one way or the other is probably your family. It might not be all of them, who, maybe some particular members of what? Of your family. Because statistically speaking, all of them cannot be Christian. True or false? True. <laughs> In my life, some separation has been done on my behalf. But I have to maintain the separation. I've even carried it on my head more than the people that did it on my behalf, my parents. I usually tell people I don't have cousins. Say, what do you mean? I don't have cousins. Do they live or they exist? They are somewhere. But I don't have them. I also do not have uncles or aunties. They are alive, but I don't have them. It's not just because of my parents. It's because of me, too. Because I have a phone. If I decide to be rebellious, it doesn't take me anything to con contact them and get their phone number and start relating with them. And my, friend, my, my father and my mother will not know. But do I want to die? No. Who am I looking for trouble for, for myself? And what is the reason why? Is it because I hate them? No. It's because ultimately, the underlying problem with them, no matter what I look at on the surface, is they are not saved. They are not what? They are not saved. So something will happen. So that they pull me back, slow me down, or end my life, like the donkey, that the ox will drag on the field and probably kill. This is the truth. Hmm? Anybody that doesn't tell you this is, is just lying to you. Because how else does the, does the devil get us but from the people that we what? We know. What happened to Samson? It's a funny story, but what really happened to him? Let's even bring it down to what happened to Jesus. How did they get him? Was he not his brother? Judas was his brother now. He said, I call you friends. I call you brothers. You're no longer servants. Didn't he tell them? He told them now. Judas was his brother. Because the chief priest had no other way to get him. How else would they have known where he was going to be that night? It's the person that knows, okay, this is where we usually go. <laughs> Association. If you have time, you can read through the Old Testament, the most interesting books, if you like stories. You see, the Bible eh, has something for everyone. If you like stories, read the book of First Kings and Second Kings. You can start from First Samuel, but read the book of First Kings and Second Kings. It will see it will edify your life, but you also enjoy yourself. You get to a point where you see the relationship between a king called Ahab and a king called Jehoshaphat, and when you read that story, 
you understand what association does in very practical terms. Jehoshaphat, out of his good heart, wanted to help Ahab to fight a war that was not his own. Say, oh, you're my brother, let's go and fight. And they went to fight. And in the process of this war, when Ahab saw that things were not going in their favor, what Ahab now did was Ahab deceptfully gave Jehoshaphat his own what? His own royal robes so that the enemies would think that Jehoshaphat is Ahab. So that when they see him, they will kill him. Human beings are just but worse too. We have to be careful. And what caused this this association? You're my brother, you're my brother. Sometimes people use words so superficially, and I'm just like, this friend that we keep throwing about sometimes, okay. It's God that will help us. Let's look at the last one isolation. Isolation. Can we look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 8? Philippians 4, 8 says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, Whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. You see, the thing is that while conversation and association are things that to a large extent are about people that are external, you see, when it comes to isolation, it is what happens to a man or a woman when the person is alone with their what? With their thoughts. Alone with your what? Your thoughts. And that's how we read the scripture. In the book of Matthew 15, you don't need to open it, I'll just narrate it. When the Pharisees were, they invited Jesus to come and eat. And essentially, Jesus did not wash the way he was supposed to ceremonially wash. And after that, what happened was that the Pharisees were accusing him, right? And they were accusing him of what being unclean. And Jesus now started with them and told them that they were like what? Whitewashed tombs. Beautiful on the outside, but what? Full of bones on the inside. And Jesus was now saying that it is not what enters a man that defiles that man, but what comes out of a man Essentially, he was saying, because the disciples asked him what it meant, and the disciples said, are you also not of understanding? That's what Jesus told, said to them, rather. He said, are you also not of understanding? And he explained to them and said, it is not about the food that you eat. That's the physical food that enters a man. But it's about what comes out of a man's heart, which is where all hatred, lies, and malice comes from. But essentially, what Jesus was actually saying is that it is not about what you physically let enter, but it's about what you let enter your mind that in turn feeds those things and makes them to what? To come out. 
Because you think, the thing is that when you're in isolation, when you're alone with your thoughts, there is a negative and there is a positive. And a lot of times, people just focus on the negative in that they focus on just the things to avoid. But you see, we live in a content culture and I am a content person. I consume and create content. Our lives are driven by content. And it's even worse now than it was for our parents because we have this thing that we call a phone. And we have this thing that is called the internet. And the problem that we have is that we focus a lot of times on the things that are obviously negative. So for example, if you tell a Christian that it's a sin to watch pornography, they will agree with you. True or false? They will. There are some things that are so obviously wrong that if you tell a Christian, a balanced Christian, <laughs> that these things are wrong, they'll tell you, yes, they are wrong. And they would agree. But what they don't understand is that there are so many other things that you consider to be neutral. Hmm? But because you are using your time to feed those neutral things, rather than feeding your spirit, you are still giving yourself trouble. Because essentially when you are alone and temptation comes and the voices of the devil comes, what you usually find is that you have nothing to use to resist him. So it's not enough to just avoid the negative. You have to make sure you what? You take in the positive. I'll give you an example here before that. I, I love reading novels a lot. But a couple of years ago, I had to talk to myself and say, okay, these novels, there's nothing negative inside them. They're just neutral. I don't read romance, I don't read erotic, I don't read any of those things. I just like reading good fiction, science fiction. But I had to talk to myself and say, okay, this one that you are just feeding your soul and entertaining yourself. When there are so many spiritual books that would edify my what? My spirit and strengthen me and bring me to a point where I'm more, I'm stronger in the Lord and I've built up capacity to be able to what? To resist the devil when I'm alone and he starts to tell me some nonsense. And I have to talk to myself and say, okay, you have to shift this balance. You cannot spend the time in isolation that you have simply just saying, oh, yes, I want to relax. I want to watch some TV shows. Those things might not be wrong in themselves, some of those shows. But it's about the balance of time. Because it's not enough to avoid the negative. You have to consciously pick up what? The positive. And there's something for everyone. I love podcasts, personally. I love listening to podcasts. Some people don't like it. I mean, I'll, I'll just plug my ears. I'm listening to podcasts and on my way. And as an Arsenal fan, I have like three podcasts that I listen to every week. But at some point, I had to what? Talk to myself. <laughs> because... I have Derek Prince messages to listen to. I have Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones messages to listen to. 
I have cold case Christianity to listen to. I have so many podcasts that I had to find that will feed what? My spirit. Because you know the funny thing? I am always more willing to listen to the Arsenal podcast. Because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is what? It's weak. So my body is always more, subs- except especially when Arsenal win. <laughs> like yesterday now. <laughs> I'm always more willing to what? To go and listen to them talk about, oh, the tactics and how somebody stood there, somebody stood there. But I want to attend to it too. And I'm having a good time enjoying myself. But what's he doing for me? Nothing. So what do I do? I make sure that I spend more time with what? With things that would actually benefit my spirit. And I make a timetable for myself and say, okay, in a week, these are the things that I'm going to listen to. On Sunday, I've already started drawing it up. This is the Derek Rinsp series I'm going to listen to. These are the messages I'm going to listen to from these, these people. These are the things that... It's a practical thing, no. This is not something that you leave to chance. Because most of the time, if you say, I'll do it when I'm free, that free will not come. And when the free comes, what you most likely want to do is what? Is to catch up on that Netflix show that you are watching. Because it's worse for us than it was for our parents. We have the distractions everywhere. At the click of your a button, you can just get lost. Before you know it, you've binged the whole show. And it's night. <laughs> and it's 2 a.m. These are practical things we need to tell ourselves. Because before you know it, what you will find is that you have nothing in there. Your spirit is thin. Your flesh is fat. So what happens when the devil comes? You can't do anything. You are defeated. So sometimes we, we tend to limit it to just all oh, the things to avoid. And of course there are things to avoid. Some things that are not even obvious that the Spirit of God will start telling you, okay, Billy, that one is not for you. Just leave it. This one is not for you. That's true. But it's not just about avoidance. You have to deliberately make sure that you find time to consume things about what? About God. So when the Bible says whatever things are true, whatever things are pure, whatever things are honest, all these things that we have read in Philippians, they are all about the Word of God. He's not talking about anything in this world. Every single thing that is true, that is honest, that is just, that is pure, that is of good report, that is lovely, is inside the Word of God. It surrounds the Word of God. You won't find it in the world. You'll only find it in His Word. So consume His Word, because when you consume His Word, that's when you will be thinking constantly about what? His Word. And it's always such a beautiful thing. There are times that I get so thankful that sometimes in my idle time, what is running around my mind is something that I heard one of one, a preacher say, or something that I read in a book that I'm reading. I'm just like, what does this thing even mean, self? And I'm ruminating and ruminating and ruminating about it. Isn't that much more beautiful? than being in your idle time and what you're thinking about is just absolute nonsense. Because that is what you've essentially consumed. Isn't it more glorious? Because this is how the devil gets us in isolation. 
There are people that don't like being alone because they don't trust themselves. Christians. But if you ask them, you find out it's because of what they feed themselves. It's not enough not to do. You also have to do some other things. And there are books. There are resources. There are so many things. There are so many Christians creating so many things. Pastor Femi talked about music last week. And about how God delivered him from some bands. I'm a witness to that deliverance because I'm his friend. Some bands that will depress you. They'll depress you because that's what they were created for. Which brings me to the last thing I want to talk about today. And this is where we're going to center the most of our prayer. Which is the activity of what? Of spirits. I need you to open your mind, people. Because if you ignore this, then we are not, we have wasted our time today. In the book of Mark, chapter 9, verse 25, don't open, we'll open some. The Bible talks about a deaf and dumb spirit that was influencing a man. And the Bible says that when Jesus was going to heal the man, what Jesus did was he commanded those spirits to what? That spirit to what? To go. That should make you think. Because if you read all the experiences of healing in the ministry of Jesus, this was a very unique one compared to the others. There are some in which he would, he would put clay in his hand and what, spit on it, put it on the eyes, the eyes will see. There are some he will say, receive your sight. For this one, he casted out what? A spirit. Why? Because there was a spirit that was responsible for causing that condition in that person's life. I should tell you something. That this world that we are living in is not just how we what we see it. Can we open our Bibles to Second Chronicles eighteen twenty two? Yes, please add Chronicles to that list I told you of very fun Bible books that you should read that will benefit your life, but it also show you some things. They're very interesting books. I'm about to read a passage from a very interesting situation. It's actually connected to the example I just gave now about Ahab and Jehoshaphat. Second Chronicles 18, 22. The Bible says, Now therefore the Lord had put, he had put what? What does it say in your Bible? A lying spirit in the mouth of thy prophets, and the Lord has spoken evil against thee. Let me give you a little background. Essentially, Ahab wanted to go to war, but Ahab was used to having prophets that would come and just tell him what he wants to hear so that he would be happy. The prophets obviously were, they were thieves because they know that telling the king what he wants to hear gives them favor and the king will give them what? Money, resources, all that. And the truth is, Ahab in his heart knew that they were lying. But he couldn't help but just what? Here, he had itching ears, like the Bible says in the New Testament. He wanted to hear what was just beneficial to what? To him. So when Jehoshaphat got involved and heard it, Jehoshaphat, which was a holier king, or a more righteous king than Ahab, Jehoshaphat definitely knew that there was a problem here. So Jehoshaphat was asking, is there no other prophet <laughs> that, <laughs> that can come and actually tell us what is going on? 
And here people said, well, there's this prophet called Micah, but I don't like what he says. He's always saying the wrong thing about me. Joshua now said, it is that Micah that I want us to go and what? To go and call. And so they brought Micah, and it's Micah that is speaking here and telling here that who puts the lie spirits inside them? The Lord. How many of us know that God also controls these demons? He does. Satan is their commander-in-chief. But who made them? It's God. God owns the entire world. So Micah was saying, well, because you like hearing what you want to hear, and because these prophets have already compromised, that the Lord himself allowed and permitted the lying spirits to what? To enter them. So they are spirits of what? Of lies. Let's open to Isaiah 19, 14. Isaiah 19.14 says, The Lord hath mingled, what? A perverse spirit in the midst thereof, and they have caused Egypt to hear in every work, as a drunken man staggered in his own, what? Vomit. A what? A perverse spirit. This was essentially talking about the fall of the Egyptians and Egyptian wisdom. This was Isaiah basically talking about what happened in the past and how the Lord caused Egypt to what? To fall. And he says it was through what? A perverse spirit. This is a very similar description to what we have in the book of Romans chapter 1 when Romans talks about God giving people over to a reprobate mind. It's the same thing we're speaking about here. A kind of spirit that causes man or allows man to concord evil by what? By himself. Evil practices. Evil practices that have uncleanliness in them. And this permeated the Roman Empire and all their parties. This is why they would throw a child into a coliseum and say a lion should come and eat that child. Or a young boy or girl. And that young boy and girl is what? Just because the young boy and girl is a Christian. And a lion will be torturing these people. And the entirety of Rome will be what? Will be celebrating and cheering and placing bets. Is that normal? It's not. That's the spirit of what? Of perversion. So we've seen another spirit in the Bible, have you? Please, let's move on. I'm showing you this so that you can open what? Open your heart. So when we start praying the prayers we are going to pray today, you will pray it well. First Timothy 4 1. First Timothy 4. If anybody is there, the person can read. Amen. Deceiving spirits, some, some verses will say seducing what? Spirits and doctrines of what? Demons. It's talking about what will happen in our what? In our time. 
and deceiving spirits. It says that these deceiving or seducing spirits will be in what? In false teachers. False what? Teachers. And they are very much active today. There are some places that, okay, the church is full. And you're like, how is this church full? They are not preaching anything. They are not saying anything. I'm not going to mention names. But trust me when I say that deceiving spirits are very much at work today, ruling the hearts and minds of people. Because they've given themselves over to the doctrine of what? Of demons. And what they are teaching has nothing to do with this Bible. But the people that are there cannot see it. They can't what? See it because they are seduced. So that's for teachers. Let's look at what happens with prophets. Isaiah 8, 19. This is the last example we read today. We'll read one more so we can see. Isaiah 8, 19 says, And when they shall say unto you, Seek into them that have familiar spirits, and unto wizards that peep and that mutter. Should not people seek unto their own God for the living to the dead? This idea, Isaiah speaking, let's read the next verse 20. To the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no what? Light in them. He's talking about false what? Prophets. And every false prophet is walking alongside familiar what? Spirits. It's in this Bible here. Familiar spirits. These are the spirits that are behind wizardry and sorcery, behind spiritism, behind mystical practices. People that will say they are traveling to the astral plane. People that are seeking some form of enlightenment and are buying crystals in their house. Magic. It's all what? Familiar spirits. So Deliverance Church, I have to teach you. <laughs> Finally, let's open to Hosea chapter 5, verse 4. Hosea chapter 5, verse 4. Hosea was a prophet that was given one of the most Herculean tasks in the whole Bible. Hosea 5.4 says, They will not frame their doings to turn unto their God, for the spirit of what? Whoredoms is in the midst of them, and they have not known their Lord. The spirit of whoredoms is also the spirit of idolatry. It's the spirit of what? Idolatry. That causes people to go from altar to what? To altar. Because of something they are pursuing, for, because of something that they are seeking, spirit of whoredoms. Because essentially, what God did to Hosea was he used Hosea's life as a pattern for Israel. So because Hosea was the chosen of God, 
Hosiah was the type of God in his life. Then God told Hosiah to go and marry what? A harlot. And that prostitute or harlot was a type of the nation of Israel. And this woman would be unfaithful in the same way that Israel was being unfaithful to God. So the spirit of whoredoms is a spirit of idolatry that has caused people to what? To serve other gods. And they keep jumping from altar to altar, joining society upon society, all in the name of what? What they will gain or get in this world. So the question is, why am I reading all this to you? Is it to make you fear? No. It's not to make you fear. It's to make you know that there's something that we must do. Let's open our Bibles to Luke 19, Luke 10, 19. And we would rise up and we're going to pray. Luke 10, 19. It says, Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. This happened after the 70 returned. Verse 17 says, and the 70 returned again with joy saying to the Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through what? Thy name. The reason why we're looking at all this is because you have to take what? You have to take authority. You have to take what? Authority. These spirits can walk through people. You have to be able to recognize it and what? Take authority. Through the name of what? Of Jesus. Because that's what the disciples came back and said. They said what? That the demons are subject to us. In thy name. And then he said, I have given you authority. He has given who authority? You. And essentially, this is, this is the foundation of everything that we call deliverance today. The Bible also says that the anointing breaks what? The yoke. The anointing breaks the yoke. What is the anointing? The anointing is the power of God through God's spirit which has the ability to break what? Every yoke. Now the entire foundation of anything that you call deliverance is covenants. But covenants with what? With spirits. <laughs> with these what? With these demons. And life is in what? Is in the blood. Someone told me once of, of a girl, a young 13-year-old girl who, is it 13? No, 16. 16-year-old girl. She should be like 18 now. And she was telling me that the girl had a, that she had a lot of problems, she has a lot of issues, she has gone through basically a lot of mental turmoil. And I was not asking like more about this girl and all that. 
And the problem is that we first, our tendency is to try to what? To first science it, right? I've given you, and you say, oh, she has to take care of her mental health. Have you? Okay, I'm coming. And people were sciencing the thing. I mean, I was listening, but me, I always remember that scripture. That's what? He'll give you beauty for ashes, the joy of, the oil of gladness for mourning, a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Heaviness is depression. So me, I knew in my heart that depression is a spirit. I know it's because I've been delivered from it. Anyway, so I was just asking questions, and later on I found out that at some point in the girl's life, that the girl had a blood pact with somebody. A 16-year-old girl. How did she learn it? Probably online, the internet, the whispering of devils. She had a blood what? Pact with someone. Blood pact again. Later on, she woke up and said that she's a lesbian. And she's into girls. She started dating a girl. 16. Then had a blood pact with that one. And me, I was listening to the whole story. I said, you people don't know how complex these girls are. <laughs> people are thinking that it's just, it's just, you know, antidepressants, um, hospital. I'm like, you people don't know that this girl, she is having interactions with demons. She's been given over to them. And before she can be normal again, she has to be delivered. No hospital will what? Will change it. No medicine will solve it. That is the reality of the world that we live in. But because we want to deny Jesus and we don't want to accept him as king over all, I, have, I don't have a problem with science. I have a problem with scientists. <laughs> science is a gift from God. Scientists are trying to deny God. And we get all logical about these things and act like the spiritual realm does not exist. And people are suffering. And people are what? Are dying. And every day, demons keep influencing the activities of men because they know that Jesus is coming very soon. They are more aware of his coming than even you that are sitting down here. They feel it. They want to finish their work on time so that as many as possible that they can get to miss heaven forever will miss it. And how do they do that? By influencing us. Let's rise up. We have to wake up. We have to wake up. We can talk about these practical teachings, talk about them all the live long day. But we have to start praying some prayers. Hmm? There is no day hmm, that I wake up that I don't pray against the influence of demons in my life, in my decision-making, in where I go, in the things that I do. Wherever the demons come from, I don't care. Whether it's the ones from my family background or the ones that I get to interact with as I go out on the road, on the streets. Do you think everybody passed by on the road is a human being? (laughs) No. (laughs) This world is complex. But we don't need to know the details. 
We don't need to know every nook and cranny of it. What we need to know is we have power in who? In the name of Jesus. Jesus did not give us any, Jesus did not say, oh, you have to understand everything. He just said, use what? Use my name. No matter what the situation is, use what? My name. No matter what the condition is, use my name. And they will answer you. 